On September 20th, I met with the UAS professor of environmental science, Aaron Hood, to talk about August 5th suicide basin outburst flood. We talked about the geological causes of the flood, the ways in which Juno residents can prepare for future floods, and what this means in the context of climate change. You're listening to the full interview. So the flood that originates in Suicide Basin the first year that that happened was 2011. Mm-hmm. And basically what happened is Suicide Glacier used to come down as a side glacier that joined into the Mendenhall. Mm-hmm. And because of warming, that side glacier has pulled back and essentially left like an open gap right next to the Mendenhall Glacier, this over-deepened basin. And so that over-deepened basin now every year fills up with water. The main Mendenhall acts as a dam. So the bedro- it's a bedrock basin on three sides with a glacier blocking the entrance to the basin. So it fills with water, and then at some point, the water is able to create enough pressure to drain out underneath the glacier. That's happened every year from 2011 until now. And then obviously this year, a much larger volume of water drained out than it has in the past. On the National Weather Service website, this sliding timeline that shows the water is filling and filling more than it has. And then it crests in July and then just yeah plummets on the 5th. And You know, I just talked with Amanda Ara the other week, who uh, her house uh, got condemned after the flood, and she just wanted to ask specifically how that mechanism works. Like, like the pressure builds up, and then you said it goes out underneath the glacier? Yeah, so what happens is that the water fills up the basin. This year, the volume was about 14 billion gallons of water filled into the basin, and water has a buoyant pressure, right? Like, ice wants to float. And so that buoyant pressure actually lifts the main glacier up and the water starts to flow under the glacier. And then as the water flows, it generates friction and the heat from that widens out the drainage channel. So the ice is trying to close the drainage channel, but the flowing water is opening it up. So these glacier floods tend to start very slowly with a trickle of water under the glacier. And then as more water moves through, it widens up the hole and then everything sort of rushes out. And then when the water is drained out of the basin, then that hole will start to close up again because it's under a lot of pressure. I noticed in in that slideshow after the big, you know, the actual, the the outburst, it starts filling a little bit and then outbursts again. It's like a, like you get a kind of aftershocks. Yeah, it looks almost like it's breathing when you wash it because it's going up and down. We don't understand the exact mechanism, but basically once it drains, there is a drainage conduit to some extent. And so it doesn't take as much water filling before it drains out again. So you get a lot of these little like episodes where it fills a little bit and drains out, fills a little bit and drains out. Those are pretty common to happen after the major flood event, which is, you know, again, that large volume drainage. Does that outburst flood, does that happen in a matter of like seconds or minutes, or does it more so flow out over a longer span of time? It's just even still the inundation is too much for the lake and the river to... No, the the total time for the water to drain out is a couple days. It starts off very slowly, and so we can see from the cameras we have up there when the water level starts dropping, then we know, okay, it's starting to drain. And then typically from the time we see the water level start to drop until the peak of the flood in the river is around a day and a half. 
so there's a good amount of time to warn people. And then after that, once it peaks, it drops down very quickly because it's like that drain hole is kind of wide open and the waters come out. So it does start slowly and it takes over a day to sort of build up to the peak, which is good because it's not like a, a dam breaking where all the water rushes out at once. There's a little bit of a buildup. Yeah. Are there other ways maybe like that going forward? We, I don't know if humans are even capable of something like this, but preventing it from filling to that extent again to, to lower the... There, there really are not because of the scale and the location of it. I mean, there have been places in Europe where they've put backhoes up onto the glacier and the backhoes, you know, they use them to dig out like a channel in the ice that helps it to drain out. But the size of this... And the scale means that things like trying to dig a channel through the glacier, trying to use explosives, which people have proposed, trying to use some kind of siphoning mechanism, there's just no way. I mean, even if you put some sort of pipe to siphon water, when you go up there and look, there's a huge waterfall coming into the basin from the glacier above. And so unless you could siphon water faster than that giant waterfall is putting it in, it's not going to make any difference because it's still going to fill up. And so from a practical standpoint, there's really nothing we can do to stop the basin's natural process of filling and draining. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of bank armoring, people putting riprap or boulders and backfilling underneath their houses. So there's that that can be done and can be more or less effective depending on how big the future floods are. We've had statements come out that say that this probably isn't going to be the worst going forward. This has been the worst so far. And those were, yeah, and those were, were my statements. And I was largely speaking from a statistical standpoint, which is that when you look at these outburst floods, they have a certain lifespan. So this one started in 2011. By 2050, it will be gone because the glacier will recede or it will have thinned so much that there won't be a dam anymore. So there'll no longer be an outburst flood. It just won't fill anymore. If you look at the timeline, like the lifespan of these kinds of floods, which are not particularly well studied, they tend to be sort of all over the place. Like, they're small, then they're bigger, then they're smaller, then they're much bigger, then they're smaller. You know, they there's no real pattern to them. When I was talking about the the worst maybe yet to come, it was from a statistical standpoint, if we expect these kinds of floods to last for decades, the chance that you'd see the biggest one in the first decade is low, right? And so when this happened, even though we didn't do a good job of predicting it for this specific year for a variety of reasons, Overall, it doesn't surprise me because that's how outburst floods work. They they change from year to year. They're really variable. And what fundamentally changed was that in the past, when the basin drained, it never drained down close to the bottom of the basin. It would drain partway. And then for some reason, it would stop draining. One potential explanation is that there's so many icebergs jammed in there when you start draining it, then those icebergs would would essentially block the drainage hole. And so it would drain very rapidly to a point where they would get blocked and then it would just sort of come out slowly after that and drain down more. 
Uh, this year, when we went up right after the flood, we used drones to make 3D maps of the basin. And just looking at it, you could see from the water elevation that it had drained much more completely than it had in the past, um, which we weren't able to predict because it had never happened before. And so now that we've seen it and we have a map of what that looks like, we will be able to make a much better flood prediction in the future. Um, however, we still don't know if there's more area down lower than what we saw this year. I don't think there's much, but there probably is some, like could it go lower? Probably some, but I think it's pretty close to the bottom at this point. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to to survey that kind of thing without just like waiting for it to just proceed further and go deeper. We don't, and that's the tricky thing is because you have to, if you use radar or other techniques, you have to go through snow and then through ice and then through liquid water and find out where the bedrock is at the bottom. But the problem is the basin used to have a very continuous solid ice cover on it. We used to be able to walk across it in summer or winter, but now the ice is really broken up and it has icebergs and like open water and so it's a really dangerous environment. We can't get out there. Um, and people have talked about, well, we could put like an autonomous, like an underwater drone that has a sonar and we could use that. But even if you could drop that into the water up there, you'd have to drive it through this just giant jumble of icebergs and super turbid water that you can't see anything. And so we don't really have the instruments to be able to do that. What would be helpful in that regard is if all the ice in the basin were to melt, then you'd just have a lake there. Yeah. And then it would be easier to go in and use sonar or whatever, like a depth sounder. Yes. But it's just chopped up ice, and it's so it's really dangerous. You couldn't go out there in a boat. You can't walk out there anymore. Uh, it's just really not an easy place to work. That's fascinating that we just don't know how deep this thing is because that the implications that has are so yeah daunting because like you know this thing crested this flood crested at like fourteen feet yeah at at, at its peak or around that and took out a home condemned a bunch of homes and like eventually you're saying like with with warming and with with patterns of glacial recession. Eventually, the basin won't exist, or the, the that's floor. correct. The dam won't exist anymore. The dam won't exist, so the outburst floods will pose less of a risk. Until we get well, they'll be gone yeah. completely. Yeah. But until we get to that point, that's the question: is is it going to get? You know, like I said, the life cycle of this thing maybe thirty to forty years. So if we start in two thousand eleven, we're part way into it. I mean, if I had to guess and throw out a number, I'd say maybe 2050, something like that. But it's really hard to know because we don't know exactly how the glacier is going to recede in the future. Um, examples of similar places in the world? That we there are. There's other ones close by. There's one uh, on the Tulsaqua Glacier, which drains into the Taku River. There's one on the Snow River, which is up on the Kenai Peninsula that drains into the Snow River and the Kenai River. So 
there are other places where the these kinds of floods have been studied, and mostly what you see is they last for some number of decades. Some of those ones I mentioned are still going. Um, and so we can look at this and say, okay, you know, this is going to last for decades. The million dollar question is, is it going to get bigger or is it going to get smaller in the future? And you can argue it either way. Well, I mean, the hope is that it would get smaller in the event that that these floods just get more frequent and more intense. Yeah. What can be done uh, along the Mendenhall River and along these areas that are at risk to, to mitigate that? Well, there's really, I mean, like I said, bank armoring can work to a certain point. One of the difficulties with bank armoring, which you've seen, there's been a ton of it, right? There's just an endless uh, train of dunk dump trucks going in there dumping rock and trying to rebuild the banks with something that's less erodible. I mean, that's really the problem is that the valley is full of glacial till, which is unconsolidated, and it just erodes very easily. Like you saw that in the time-lapse videos. Someone has a yard, and then six hours later, the whole yard is gone, right? It's just that material is super erodible. And so if you come in and you replace that with dump truck loads of rock and boulders that's less erodible um yeah i mean to really do it right and armor the whole river through the whole valley would probably be somewhere on the neighborhood of a hundred million dollars um and you there's no guarantee that that would actually protect all of the structures anyway beyond having that insane cost what are some things that that you're looking at in in relation to this? Like, are you still are there still areas of this? I'm assuming that are being monitored, that are being studied. Is there anything that like excites you? Well, I mean, the the thing that we've seen now is that you know over time we saw big floods in 2014 and 2016, and then we hadn't really seen a very big flood since 2016, and so we sort of people sort of got this like false sense of security. And so now, because of what happened this year, when we saw the potential for the much larger flood, we're really going to increase our efforts to monitor up there, put more instruments to monitor it, and also increase efforts to do some modeling, which helps us to project in the future like the size of the basin. Because again, on three sides of it is bedrock. That's not changing. But the side that is the glacier is changing pretty rapidly. And so we need to understand how the ice near the front of the basin that's acting as the dam, how is that ice changing? And what does that mean for the ability of it to hold water? Is it increasing the ability to hold water or is it decreasing? Eventually it will decrease, but the question is, will it increase before it decreases down to nothing when the glacier is gone and there's no dam at all? You think, like, would you say that you are, um, like, more, like, concerned or fearful of this development? And how, like... Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think now that we've seen the capacity to drain that much of the basin, I think the chance that we have floods that are similar in magnitude to what we had this year is much greater than it was before because we've seen the potential and so it's entirely possible that we could get you know floods that are similar 
to that magnitude or even larger for some period of time. However, outburst floods are very unpredictable. And in some summers, we've had a case where we had six outburst floods over the summer starting in June, and they were all really small. We have no idea why, because we can't study that drainage channel because it's buried underneath all this ice and blocked by all these icebergs. Like Even after it drains, you can't see the drainage channel because there's too much ice sitting on top of it. Yeah. So it's really, there's just really great potential for year-to-year variability. And so the flood next year could be bigger or the flood next year could be far smaller. If it's one of those years where just for whatever reason it starts filling and then in June it just drains when it's only a third full, then there'll be a flood, but you won't really notice it because it wouldn't be bigger than a flood that occurred during a big rainstorm. Yes, you're not draining. And that's the nice thing now that we have a new 3D map of the basin when it was much more drained is like we have a really good estimate of the potential. So when the cameras are sitting up there taking pictures, for any water level elevation because of our map, our you know our 3D map, we can say, the volume is this, and then the water level moves up. Now the volume is this. Like we have a really pretty precise estimate of the volume, which we didn't have before this year when we went and got that map after it drained out farther. Hmm. Yeah, and I mean we're relying on well not relying, but we've we've had this annual expectation of fill release, fill release since 2011, yeah. and with this flood being so much greater in magnitude and so much larger. Do you, can we expect that same cycle or has this changed? Like when you say something's fundamentally changed, do you think this has changed the cycle of fill and release itself? And can we rely on that annual model? Well, I think it will, I think it will still fill and release every year. The question will always be, can we get lucky? And for whatever reason, will it just start draining early, say in June or early July when it's not close to being full? And then that's a best case scenario, right? Because you empty it out before it's really full. Now that we have a pretty good new 3D model, if it does get like later into July or into August and we see that the water elevation's pretty high, we can say, okay, when it drains now, it's probably gonna be a big problem because we know the volume is X many gallons and then we can model like what the flood peak would be much more accurately than we did this year because we didn't realize the potential to drain down so deeply and release that large volume of water. So, you know, year to year again, you could see you could see anything. You could see five small floods or one flood that was bigger than what we saw this year. It's just you know, there's certain aspects of glacier outburst floods that are just unknowable in terms of how the dynamics change from year to year. And if you look at the examples from other places that people have studied this, like I mentioned, they just, if you plot the volume of the flood, it just, it's all over the place. There's no really clear pattern to how it happens. Yeah. Sometimes you get a massive release and sometimes you don't. And it's, you know, it, you know that there's a starting point and an ending point, and in between, there's a lot of variability. Yeah. 
And so we're in that in-between phase, you know, we're into our second decade of this happening. And the worry would be that, you know, in the second and third decade, before at some point it starts to get smaller, it could get larger. But but we, we don't know when that will be, and we don't know how big it will be either. And so a lot of the work that we're going to start, hopefully in the next few months, is will allow us to hopefully identify like, okay, what is the biggest flood we could get if we kind of model things forward? Um, that's something we're interested in trying to quantify. And you mentioned an advanced warning earlier, at least slightly. You see us starting to drain. Yeah. Necessarily foreshadow it at first? Or could drainage just happen slowly and steadily and no outburst happens? No. Once it starts draining under the glacier, the the same thing always happens in that like it picks up speed. However, as I said, sometimes in the past, something stopped the drainage partway through. So that's another best case scenario. It's like the drainage fills up really high and you look at it and say, oh, this is really dangerous. But then it starts draining but shuts off partway. It's impossible to predict, but it would be a best case scenario. Or it could be a parts of the glacier, but we, did, we, just, we don't know because you can't see it. Yeah, there's just no, like I said, it's really hard because you're looking at, you know, tens to hundreds of meters of ice that you need to see underneath to see what's going on. And those channels are also transient because for one, the glacier is always moving down valley. So if you create a channel underneath it, that channel itself is moving. And for two, ice that's under pressure deforms. And so over time, the channel can just close back up again. It's not like you melt a drainage hole and then it just stays there permanently. It'll start to close just because of the overburden pressure of the ice above it. So it's a very complicated problem. Complicated, unpredictable force of nature that we know some things about. But yeah. It is really a wild card, and I think it's hard for people to understand that because when we talk about floods, usually what people are talking about are rainfall floods and sometimes like snowmelt floods in the spring, and those are really pretty predictable to the extent that you can get a rainfall prediction that's accurate, yeah. right? I mean, you can have a case like Hurricane Harvey in Texas where no one knew the hurricane would like stall out and sit in the same place and rain for a day or whatever. But to the extent that you can predict the amount of rain, you can do a good job of predicting the size of the flood. With the outburst flood, even if you know the amount of water sitting up there, you don't know how it's going to come out exactly. And so it's really hard to make a good prediction. I think what we'll be able to do better now than we did in the past is make kind of a worst case scenario prediction to say we could see something like this, but if we luck out, we could see something substantially smaller than that. Yes, you prepare for the worst and just in terms of giving people time to, you know, take their belongings out of their home or whatever. Obviously this year, people didn't have much time because even though the warning went out a day and a half ahead of time. There was no indication to us that it was going to be really an out of, out of the ordinary size of flood that ended up being about, you know, 160% of the largest flood ever seen on Mendenhall River. This was like 60% larger than that. So uh, 
that was in that regard people really didn't have much time because they didn't expect that they were gonna need to evacuate their homes but i mean i'm assuming this will absolutely put this on the for sure for sure and now when they i mean even the uh, there was another outburst flood as you mentioned it was refilling and it refilled about 20 percent and then drained and even that people were sort of freaking out and we said no we know the exact volume like it's going to be it can't be very big because our new map tells us how much volume, we, you know, to a much more accurate estimate, how much water is in there. So, so do you think when it fills to a certain point, at that point, people should start expecting? Yeah, and that's exactly what the forecast will say. When you go to that site, it will say, you know, the water elevation is such and such. And so, you know, we estimate that there's this much water in there and a release of that much water could generate a flood that's, you know, bigger than last year, smaller than last year, whatever it is. Um, again, it's sort of nailing down like a worst case scenario. Once that starts to recede, like you said, the warning went out a day and a half ahead of time. Yeah. And you start to see it. Exactly. The second it starts to go down, I mean, the confusing thing and one thing that was a problem this year was that the water in the basin actually was overtopping the ice dam and so it was running down the surface of the glacier. When it runs down the surface of the glacier, the water incises because it melts into the ice. And so that causes the basin water level to decrease slightly. And so we saw it decreasing and this was just from the overflow. And then the weather service put a warning and said, okay, it's flooding, you know, get ready in a day and a half. And then we realized it wasn't draining underneath. It was just coming over the top, which isn't going to create a flood. And so then they took the warning away. And then a couple of days later, it started draining. Underneath. So they put the warning back up. But I think by then people were like, oh, whatever, it's not. And there was nothing in the warning to indicate that it was going to be a record-breaking flood. Like it ended up being. Because even when it's full to that extent, it could just be several smaller floods that drains it. Yeah, or, I mean, when it's full to that extent, basically full to the top, we've always seen a pretty substantial flood, but, you know, oftentimes, like I said, one that maybe drained like half or two-thirds of the basin and then it got plugged up for some reason. So it didn't do what it did this year, which was like a, a more complete drainage. Exactly. So they were expecting the peak flow to be around, uh, I don't know, maybe 12,000 cubic feet per second in the river, and it ended up at 26,000. And the largest ever recorded before that was 16,000. So again, you can see, you know, it was just much bigger than what we've experienced in the past. Yeah. And just to, to the final question that, that I have is just in relation to what you what we've been saying to clarify we still don't it collapsed deeper or it fell deeper than we've ever seen it fall but we haven't seen the bottom of it yet right we have a better idea of the mapping of it but we still don't know how deep this basin is and how much water it holds and how much it'll release yeah how that's that is correct my guess is there's not a lot more area down there hiding from us but there we don't know it's a really good point and so that's why we're trying a variety of things that might allow us to get at that question, but all of them 
involve either dangling things from helicopters or other things that are like kind of tricky to pull off um, to get some information about where the, the bedrock bottom of the basin is. Um, I don't have any like zany finisher like question. I just <laughs> really was fascinated by the geology of this and just the science of how this works and why this felt so different. And that was, yeah, really fascinating stuff, Aaron. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, you're welcome. It's great. Appreciate it.